When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Two Black Guys with Good Credit, the show for the financially curious and the financially knowledgeable. Today, we have a special guest. Sean, tell us about our guest. Well, this special guest is from one of my favorite podcasts, From Another Planet. You know, we call our show Planet Money. Um, she's one of my favorite people to hear, and I listen to her on a regular basis. I heard her voice and I reached out to her and she was so delighted to come on our show to talk economics and financial literacy. So we welcome the Miss One and Only Sarah Gonzalez. How Thank are you? you. I'm so good. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. We're glad to have you. So Sarah, Planet Money, it's, it's a finance show or economic show. Can, can you give our audience a sense of the type of stories you guys do on Planet Money? Yeah, so we are an economic show. We're not like a financial advice show, so we're not going to tell you like what kind of credit cards to get or anything like that, but we will tell you a story about like how credit cards got their magnetic strip or the the little <laughs> chip that you insert, right? It that story by the way has to do with airline tickets. Basically, you used to have to like airline companies used to have to call your credit card company anytime you wanted to buy a ticket and there were like really long long wait times. And then in France, there was like credit card fraud because of bad phone connections. And so the magnetic strip and the chip kind of like made the phone calls irrelevant. Um, so we are a storytelling podcast. We like we try to introduce you to a character who you just like really want to hear from. Um, and we explain parts of the economy through storytelling. And one of the things that I like to tell people pretty early on when I tell them that I work for an economics podcast is that my background as a journalist is not covering the economy. What's your background? So what, what is it that you covered? Yeah. So I used to cover things like where the social safety net failed people. So like juvenile justice, foster care, things like that. Um, and so when I came to Planet Money two years ago, I realized very, very, very quickly that like everything in the world is an economic story, like everything, all the everywhere you look, there is like an economic story there. Um, one of the very first stories that I did was about how the world is running out of sand. Um, sand is a good, it is a very important good. Uh, the main ingredient in concrete is sand. Glass is basically just melted down sand. The silicon chips that power all of our electronics, they are made of sand. And sand, it like takes a really long time to form, right? Like it forms over thousands or millions of years by rocks slowly eroding. So like when we use up all the sand, we're just going to have to wait like thousands of years for more sand. So how am I going to be um, on the, so how am I gonna be on the beach like with no sand? What am I going to have like well, not even a grass beach, grass to water? What is it? How, is it, how am I, like, I going to get my toes in the sand? There are all these examples of beaches being stolen in the middle of the night. Like the locals in Jamaica come out to the beach and all of a sudden all the sand is gone. There are sand mafias, sand heists. So um, instead of cocaine dealers and drug, hardcore drug dealers, people are going to start, they're going to start <laughs> slanging sand on the corner. Exactly. Yes. Wow. That's and it's crazy. really serious. Like people actually get killed over sand. Um, it is, you know, it's like a really important thing in 
for for like the entire world. Um, so there's two examples that right I think. Now? Is it a yeah. scarce commodity? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. We, we, there was like a, a UN report that said the world is running out of sand. Wow. We um, have, our, we have our, our lady with the facts also here on the line. Dion, did you have any facts on, on the sand market? Were you aware you of this? What? I'm actually completely blown away by this. And I'm getting goosebumps because I love this kind of stuff. I've never heard <laughs> this. It reminds me of the whole uh, um, uh, olive oil. There's like a whole olive oil um, mafia. Like sounds similar to this whole sand wow that sounds so sophisticated (laughs) though right (laughs) for those that can't see we're on video and sarah and dion's eyes are just opening wider and wider as we get deeper (laughs) into sand conversation (laughs) okay wait dion i'm gonna like totally trip you out with with this next thing okay so like the only like people always say like but the whole world is made out of sand like there's so much sand in the desert and like that's just this like infinite amount of sand the only kind of sand that works uh, for construction, like for our buildings to be secure, is sand from the beach or river bottoms. Wow. Um, it's like thick and grainy enough. Desert sand is like smooth and silky and it doesn't work. Um, and so Dubai, a place with a ton of sand, they import a lot of sand for all of their construction. Um, and Singapore... Singapore has... import sand. Yeah, they got to import sand. Singapore was like one of the biggest importers of sand. And they would yeah, basically they like their bring, country they would sprinkle the sand on the edges of their country and if you look at satellite images of singapore they have physically grown their landmass like their country is bigger by buying other country sand and then the countries that sold them the sand their countries have shrunk so they were like literally selling away their country so that was one of the first stories i did and i was like oh my gosh this world of economics is fascinating um but yeah Y'all took it really literal, like planet money, and we're talking like the planet and the size of these countries. Mm. Like, yeah, y'all went real literal with that with that story. <laughs> so let, let, let's let's get to the headlines. We're, we're looking at today's show, and we're kind of ripping some stories from the financial headlines. And 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 we have a few things we want to throw at you, get your take. One, one of mm-hmm. our, our first questions is basically about the whole COVID wave, and, and do you think the government is really willing to shut down the economy again if there's a second wave of, hmm. or when the second wave hits. Right. Fully shut down again, I mean, I don't know. I think that there, you're already seeing states, like some southern states, who opened up early and then they had to be like, okay, never mind, that was too early. We have to like pull back again, right? Um, but clearly people are getting antsy. And one of the things that I was thinking about recently is like the, um, the last big pandemic, which was in 1918. And like, what came after the 1918 flu pandemic? The roaring 20s, where people were like, it's like this period of time that was all about like being social and parties and interacting with people. Making it rain. Um, yeah, so like the fear of getting sick and dying didn't stop people from like having a cocktail with their friends. It stops me. I don't need a cocktail with my friends that badly. Like, I'll see you on Skype. It's all good. Yeah. Um, But there is, like, since we're talking about, you know, economics, um, there is an economic way of looking at this or, like, economists look at this a certain way. So, basically, economists all the time look at the cost of safety. Like, is it financially worth it? Like, how financially worth it is it to keep us safe? Um, So, for example, like, we let people have cars in the United States. And we know that people die from car accidents. Um, We could ban cars. And then no one would die from car accidents, but then we wouldn't be able to get to work as fast. We It would take longer for us to get our goods, like, you know, to ship goods to warehouses or to our houses. So we let cars exist in the United States, even though they're not super, super safe. But we do have rules for cars. Like we have seatbelts for cars. And now there are seatbelts that beep at you until you click the seatbelt in, right? The like beep, 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 the like super annoying beeping. That decision was made, like decisions like that get made because economists do the math and they say, how much would it cost car companies? How much would it cost for us to require car companies to install seatbelts that beep at you? And then how many lives would be saved by those beeping seatbelts? If the yeah, are more... Then it's not worth then then the lives saved then it's not worth it and the only way to do this math is to put a dollar value on a human life, um, and today that dollar value according to like ten million yeah wow you remember so well 
Um, yeah, like the EPA, the Department of Transportation, the Department of I listen to Services. your show, Sarah. I listen I know. to your show. Well, you see, everyone I'm not, says I'm, it. I'm, they don't have the receipts like you have the receipts. <laughs> um, so right now it's $10 million. And so for the coronavirus state or the federal government, they could say, okay, how many lives would be saved if we shut down the economy? Let's say it's $10 trillion worth of lives if each life is worth a, a, a $10 million. And then what would the impact be to the economy if we shut it down? If the impact is less than the lives, then it's worth it. If it's more than the lives, then it's like, okay, well, eventually we're going to have to let some people die. Right. You think the economists are, fun- are factoring in the outlier, the elephant in the room to see like what? predictions? What's, what's the elephant in the room? A big Trump. Because he's an outlier, like he does not follow any kind of economic theory or forecast. He kind of makes decisions without, without you know, any gut. Let's just call it a gut decision. You can't factor well, that in. The, the I mean, the White House has economists who knows if they're doing this math, but like this is just the kind of math that they could do and that normally would happen. I love that. Um, I love that answer. And it happens at the state level too. Or at the city level, right? What is there something that you've learned recently while reporting on the corona set? Coronavirus that's kind of surprised you or a shock value that you didn't even the economist that you that you say you aren't but you are didn't even no I am not an economist don't <laughs> put that, I wish I was um uh if I was econom if I was an economist I would be a labor economist I know that much um but okay so we had yeah there's this one story that I think maybe your listeners will be interested in because it's kind of has to do with credit credit and credit scores um we had this one question from a listener who's like a really young listener he's like 13 or 14 years old and he sends us like really good questions all the time um and he basically said during all of this the economy is shutting down there's like high unemployment and yet housing prices are still on the rise like the price of homes are still going up and he was like why um and if you look at the last recession home prices went down like pretty majorly people lost their jobs um, and no one was buying. And so sellers had to drop the price of their homes to like convince us to buy again. Um, and today there's way more unemployment than there was in the last recession. And yet home prices are not going down. They're still going up. And the answer is that there is one really big generation that has reached the age where they are ready to buy a home right now millennials millennials are in their home buying years and we're like a bunch of people so there's just like a bunch of us who want to buy homes right now and there are not enough homes for sale so there's like and what about the baby boomers the baby boomers are selling because they're getting huh and that's because the baby boomers too may be selling as well may that have anything to do with it the baby boomers maybe well the, the the problem is that like there's a lot of demand and not enough supply which is like a classic economic problem so like if you look at Right before the last recession in 2000, like November 2007, there were like more than four million new and existing homes for sale. That's what they call it. Um, and then right before this pa- this pandemic and recession, there were less than two million homes for sale. So like half as many. So there's just like not enough homes. Mm-hmm. And if there's uh, not enough homes, the prices are going to be like, you know, they're going to stay high. They're holding the Singapore, oh, took all, but, Singapore, but, took, but, Singapore took all of our land. <laughs> the the thing I was going to say with the credit scores is that one of the things that they did in the last recession to try to get people to buy was like banks used to say, you know, you need like a 700 plus credit score to buy a home. And then when the recession hit, they were like, well, I mean, if you have like something in the 600s right. credit score, like whatever, come on in, just buy these houses. Um, so maybe that that will start happening now where like banks will say, um, you know, they get more lenient with the rules. Like if your credit isn't that great, maybe we'll still let you buy a home. Right. right. I also read um, um, that a lot of the people who um, lost their jobs really aren't the ones that are homeowners either. They tend to be homeowners. Yeah. So you're and hearing also, 30 million people mm-hmm. have lost their homes, but it's not necessarily the ones that actually are the ones that own the homes. Right. And like, you know, white collar, I hate that word, but like people who have like office jobs um, who were already planning to buy a home, who had the savings already there, they're not likely to change their plans. Like they still have their jobs. They still have their savings. So they're still going to buy the house. So it's not like all of a sudden um, it's going to prevent them. Yeah. And, and for, you know, it's compliments to the government. They, they put in safety nets for everybody so that we weren't 
So we, a lot of us got, you know, some kind of payment from the government. So we didn't have to dip into probably that money that we had saved to buy homes and use it for emergency, you know, and, and the market is favorable right now. I'm actually looking to continue to buy right now because the interest rates are still low. Um, you're right. Look, look at you, Mr. Baller. You, you, I'm looking up. Okay, go ahead, Baller. <laughs> hey, you, gotta, you buy in a down market. It's economics 101, right, Sarah? You buy in a down market. When everybody is, when everybody's selling, you're buying. When everybody's buying, you're selling. You got so it. You buy in a down market. This is a time when millionaires are made. This is the economy that you want to take advantage of. There's, it's and every definitely market, low interest rates. Like, how can they get Absolutely. lower than they are now? I can lock in. I can lock in at for 30 years under 3%. I mean, that's, that's in my world, almost free money, you know, so you got to take advantage. This well, is Sarah, time to borrow. Sarah, is there an area, an, an area of the economy that your listeners have been particularly concerned about during the, the COVID season? I think um, very early on, there was a lot of concern about like food supply uh, and the food supply chain. And are we going to get enough food? Um, yeah, we did a, a bunch of stories on them. One of them was on farm workers. Um, basically, like most of our fruits and vegetables are picked by hand, not by machines, because we don't know how to teach machines how to like delicately pluck a peach from a tree without bruising it yet. So it has to be like done by hand. Um, and people in the U.S. do not like to do this job um, because it is really, really, really hard work. So, so who does, Sarah? Of- Mexicans. Does. I'm a Mexican. I'm very proud to be a Mexican. <laughs> and they want to put up a wall and stop. Eh, it's crazy. So, so we bring in a lot of farm workers from Mexico, um, the United States does. And when the coronavirus started, you know, when it first hit um, and everything was going to shut down, like the consulate was going to shut down, all these farmers were like, wait, 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 we need to get all of our farm workers from Mexico here. Right. Like, let's get them to the consulate before it shuts down. So that was like a really big concern early on. I think now maybe more the concern has, well, it has died down, but there is still a concern of like, what if there's an outbreak among our farm workers? That would be very, very bad I for them. Heard there was. I, I, there I actually, probably has. Yeah, there probably I has been. They, they, it has begun. So I'm not sure if they're going to be able to. And I think you did an episode two where there was an outbreak in, a, in Iowa or South Dakota in a factory, in a meat factory, and, and, and it was spread out. They had to actually shut down the factory. I think, Are I don't you know, guys, I heard on you. Yeah, there was, there was definitely one about like um, all these, like pig farmers and yep, cow pig farmers, farmers yeah, yep, yep, that's were, were killing their animals because they were like there's outbreaks in in like slaughterhouses or like meatpacking plants and we can't we don't know what to do and all these listeners were like why don't you just let the animals live an extra year like let them roam around and eat grass and have a happy life and the answer for why they don't do that is bananas basically um like one, it costs a lot of money to care for pigs and cows for a year longer than you were planning to. But also, the longer the cow lives, the more it starts to taste like what it has eaten its whole life. So mm. you would get a wow. steak that tastes like grass. Oh, God forbid. And well, like, we yeah. would never buy that. And so, uh, so they're like, well, we just have to kill them now because Americans wouldn't buy a steak that tastes like grass instead of you know steak super weird wow we're special people (laughs) (laughs) well sarah i'm going to move on to your episode about inflation uh it was uh episode 10 12 i see uh inflation deflation so many episodes what do you think is the long-term impact of the government stimulus and what will that bring in regards to inflation Okay, so our colleagues, um, my colleagues, Jacob Goldstein and Robert Smith did this episode. So first, I'll just explain like what inflation and deflation are in case that's helpful. Um, Inflation you get, for example, if companies are not producing enough goods because let's say factories are shut down because of a coronavirus outbreak, um, but people have money because of the stimulus or because of their savings or whatever, and they want to spend their money. Um, So there's a lot of um, demand chasing not that many things that are being produced in factories, right? And when this happens, when the demand of everything exceeds the supply of everything, the price of everything goes up. And so you get inflation. Inflation is when prices go up. Um, And the way you reduce demand 
or like get people to buy less stuff. Um, one way to do it is the Federal Reserve raises interest rates. They make it expensive to borrow money so that you buy less things. Um, deflation is kind of the opposite. It's when prices and wages go down. Um, and that would happen because let's say, you know, tens of millions of people lose their job uh, and everyone is afraid to go out because of the coronavirus. So people aren't spending as much money and so prices start to fall. And the way you fight deflation is basically the opposite of the way that you fight inflation. You lower interest rates and hope that people buy more, which would then make prices go up. Um, so the point of that story was basically to say that economists are worried about both of those things happening right now, both inflation and deflation, not at the same time, but like there are reasons to believe that both would happen, which is weird because we've we've had like pretty um, low inflation for my whole life. Like the United States has not had to worry about that for at least for 35 years. So, Sarah, we're, we're going to do a show on reparations. And actually, I know... Um, the gentleman that you guys quoted in your show, we're going to have him on our show as well. William Sandy. Darity. Wait, yeah, that's that, that Sandy. William Darity? Mm -hmm. Sandy. Yeah, Sandy. Yeah. So in preparation, um, um, if the U.S. were to grant reparations, how do you, your personal feeling, not, you know, not Planet Money's feelings, how do you think it would work? I mean, there's like a, a long history of arguing about how you could do reparations. I don't think I would qualify um, for it, to be honest with you. I would. Canadian of Caribbean descent. So I think that I wouldn't qualify for reparations. You know, I think, being I born think in I may Canada, be, I think I may be the lone, from the Caribbean. I, I may be the I lone I qualifier here. I think I'm the lone qualifier here. But. I don't know how you would. I, I've never thought about that part of it. Like if you're a black in America. And I'm black, by would, the way, for everybody who is listening, you know, I'm black. There's been some black. There, there's so been, I don't even know oh, if I wow. qualify. There's, there's been, been two solid. black guys with guys, good credit. Yay. So I there, think there, there we has, assumed there, that there, part. There has been some talk. I've heard people say that there could be, I don't know if it's a scale, but like just because black people in America, if you've lived here, you're still dealing with systemic racism and, and, and issues that are, you know, a result of, you know, from slavery and Jim Crow so that you, you still have to deal with the same hurdles. So we might break you off a little something different from you know so sean like they from right. what i read like there may be a a a slice that would go to that well, you have to for. include you have to include dominicans they have as much negroism as they do spanish who, who said we wouldn't i'm just saying i don't know if you would i'm sorry mr dominicano i just making sure that you include them as well. are you dominican <laughs> oh no i'm oh, not right. no, I, oh you said mr dominicano <laughs> I, I just didn't get i just didn't get where you came out like we would already move them out don't no one had said it, that dominicans couldn't get you know well, they're, 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 i don't know sarah you're brown so are they brown black they, they came on the same black. boats we came on i don't know see we're thinking I'm about brown. it <laughs> And um, what are Dominicans? Dominicans is a brown. It, it, dep it depends on the Dominican. Some are African-Dominicans. Right. Some, I think, are not. Like, it just, you know, depends on the person. But, um, but that's not really the question. Sean, you added this Dominican angle. Let's, let's just get back to the question on how Sarah would well, dole I mean, out reparations. I, I, I don't think that I'm qualified to answer um, that question. I like Darity, uh, Sandy, who you'll, you'll talk. He talks about giving money to like each household. Other people have said, you know, like give people checks. Other people have said, um, you know, give them like investments in things so that they can like get whatever. I don't know. Um, or like there's there's plenty of different ways that you can do it. I think I mean, who doesn't like a check? Right. Like, hand out actual money to households. Are, are you crying over this, Sean? Is I hear you? Is, is that no? That's my son in the background. Oh, oh, okay. I apologize. Um, I, I'm about giving it to the community, but maybe Mr. Darity might convince me otherwise. Wait, wait. What did you just say, Sean? You're about wait. What's, what's giving the theory? reparations to communities? Communities, developed communities, communities of brown. You know, I'm saying brown and black communities. We just invest the money to the communities. Invest the money to real estate make them into like corporations kind of where everybody shares in the, the return on the investments that we do in the communities. Community so instead of giving it to individuals, you're saying there would be some. Absolutely. Yeah. Just give it to communities, brown and black neighbor. That's whack. Communities and no, I completely, I completely, this, the, 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 the people who are, are the descendants of slaves are owed reparations it's not no make this some community pot so every like no then you're not paying people you're not 
you're not paying for the crimes that way. Like th there was crime committed. And I will say right. for, for Sandy, he basically looks at like, how can we address the harm, not just from slavery, but from segregation, Jim Crow stuff, that, today's right? discrimination. And he comes up with a dollar figure. Should I tell you? $800,000 per household. Black uh, household. Listen to the plan of money. Yeah. <laughs> well, your definition, what is considered a black house? Everybody else is black. But let's go on to the next question. Because I'm Canadian. I don't know, Mr. Darity. I'm going to ask Mr. Darity, would he give me the money? Would he send me a check for 800000 Okay, you let me know what he says. Well, our next question, uh, from, from your Money and Justice episode, let's talk about the awkwardness of brands getting woke. Like some brands have done this authentically and, it, and it's worked and some others wokeness has fallen a little flat. Uh, let's talk about what you've seen regarding this topic. I know a lot of companies want to seem like they're on the right side of history or people want to like, you know, we're down and then something like, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on corporate wokeness? Yeah, so uh, we did this segment with one of our NPR colleagues named Sam Sanders, and he has a podcast called It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders. Um, and he was on his show commenting about like just how kind of like cringeworthy some of the tweets and social media posts. Like there was like one that was like something along the lines of like our fruit snack would not exist without black people or something like that. Why? And he was like, what? Like, what are you saying? Um, but it turns out this fruit snack company like some young social media person of color posted it and was like, I feel like our company stands with this. So like, I'm going to go for it. Um, uh, but yeah, there's definitely a feeling that it, it definitely feels like corporations feel like they have to comment on the, on it. Yeah. So there's, the, there's definitely this feeling. Um, it definitely feels like corporations feel like they have to jump in and get involved and say something. And you know, there's a bunch of reasons why, um, you know, social media being one of them, like it's very easy to get canceled and to be like, they haven't said anything. And like people have been pushing back on like, are they actually doing anything? Are they donating to any causes that help address like discrimination or inequalities or whatever? I'm not sure if you heard about the collaboration with Colin, with Colin Kaepernick and Disney. Kaepernick. No. Kaepernick. Yeah. So they are, he's actually going to be working with them and, and doing in terms of you know, really trying to elevate you know, black and brown directors, creators, storytellers, and producers. Like telling some more positive stories about black and brown people. Authentic. More Disney princesses yes. of color. Exactly. Here for it. I'm waiting for my Mexican Disney princess. Been oh, waiting. Oh, Been wow. waiting. <laughs> yes. So I'm hoping it's one of, the, the few, one of the ones that get it right and can create some shifts, you know? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there, there are all these examples of, like, the TV industry doing things right. Um, and like some TV shows are going in and deleting episodes that had like horrible blackface in it. Um, and it's like, okay, great. I sure. Uh, but then you see all these people that are like, we didn't, we don't care about your cartoons and your old episodes. Like we we're talking about like police brutality. Like we want police brutality to end, not like change and delete old episodes. Um, so, you know, whatever. Corporations. Got it. Well, all right, people, we're going to take a quick break. We are joined by Planet Money's Sarah Gonzalez. So you guys keep listening. We're, we're ripping stories right from the financial headlines. And we'll be right back with more Two Black Guys with Good Credit in just a moment. Stay tuned. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Who but Welcome to Two Black Guys Good Credit, the show for the financially curious and the financially knowledgeable. Today, we are ripping stories from the financial headlines with our guest from Planet Money, Sarah Gonzalez. And if you're not familiar with oh, Planet yeah. Money, it's one of the best podcasts, other than our great podcast. You, you yeah. need to be checking out Planet Money as well and you know, get your economic information on. So check that out. Where are you guys? Where can people find you guys, by the way, Sarah? npr.org slash planet money or just wherever you get your podcast got it all right are you having a good time sarah i'm having a great time good thank you i thought you guys were going to ask me about like my credit journey and things like that we'd love to we'd love to (laughs) okay well there you go so sarah tell us give us give our audience a little uh a little history on your financial journey. What's your your credit story? (laughs) I mean, so listen, when Sean first reached out to me, um, I remember being like, wow, what a good idea for a podcast, like Two Black Guys with Good Credit. Um, I personally think that credit is this thing that I wish I was taught about better and sooner. And I wish that I could get like the people of color in my family to understand how important it is. I definitely grew up in like a, I didn't have my first credit card until I was 26 years old, which is like really old. And I had already been a reporter for like five years at that point and or whatever longer. And I remember um, being like, well, no, like I just spend the money that I have. Right. And my husband, he was my boyfriend at the time. He's white. And he was like, uh, no, like, that's not how that works. Like, you get a credit card, <laughs> you build up your credit. And he, like, knew all this stuff. And I was like, how do you know all this stuff? Like, who right. taught you these things? And he was like, I don't know, like, my parents or whatever. I um, mean, it just was not like those, they were just not conversations that I was ever exposed to ever um, through college or whatever. And so I now, I'm like to my little sisters, I'm like, okay, Carla Karina, get a credit card. The minute you turn 18, get a credit card, put everything on it, pay it right away. And it is still, you know, like to my friends and everyone, it's still like, well, no, like I'll, I'll think about it. I'll get it when, you know, like right now I'm just trying to this or right now I'm trying to that. And I'm like, no, you guys are losing money. Like, trust me, like there are credit cards that have points. Uh, so anyways, I just think financial literacy is a real problem. Um, you have any credit boo-boos along the way, things that you would have done, you know, any that you want to share? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when I got out of college and like repaying my student loans and I would like defer, what is the word for that? Whatever. Um, there was like credit, there were student loan payments that I missed. Um, and then I realized you can like call your student loan company, tell them how much money you make. They give you a you know, a monthly payment that you can actually meet. And then it just comes out of your account. I mean, the automatic withdrawal situation is the best thing you can do for your credit, I think, as opposed to having to like be on top of it all the time. What did you say, Um, Dion? Set it and forget it? Dion, set it and forget it. (laughs) So let me ask you another, so we can get a little personal here. I love like people of color, you know, coming on and that have been success stories, in my opinion. And to me, like Sarah Gonzalez is Sarah Gonzalez as a person and Sarah Gonzalez as a business, right? And you've been able to leverage your education. You've been able to leverage your education to, to get to what I consider, one would consider an elite status. And for like somebody starting out that's 21, a brown girl from Mexico or Mexican or brown descent, how, what advice would you give to her and how to navigate? Because you've had to navigate to get where you are. It wasn't just trial and error. There was a way in which you kind of, the outlook you have, the, how you were able to, you know, find that path yeah. of success. And odds are um, against you, you know, the odds are totally against you. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I think, unfortunately, a lot of it does have to do with luck. Like, I think I'm good at my job. I think I'm a good reporter. I think I'm a good talker. Um, I think I'm a good interviewer, all of those things. But I also think that luck has a lot to do with it and like being at the right place at the right time and meeting the right one person who will recommend you or, you know, things like that. Um, I also, it's weird. I struggle with this because I used to always give the same advice, um, which was like, I basically just like worked constantly all the time and didn't get paid for it, 
where like, you know, I was a part time producer and then I would like work a 15 hour day and not get paid for like the last eight hours or whatever um and i would be like you just have to like work put in the work and like work more and now i'm like wait that's like really messed up like you should not be working for free um that's like horrible advice but that is like what i did i think i was just um i always said like yeah i'll do that assignment oh yes i'll go there yes i'll do that thing and i did it like happily um you know which I think it's just like a personality decision. You just have to like decide if that's who you are. If it doesn't feel natural, don't do that. Um, but if you're trying to be a journalist, I, for me, I sort of decided early on that I had to market myself a certain way. Um, public radio, where I'm a part, part of, is very, and what, very and what white. was that? What was what was that? What, how were you marketing yourself? Yeah, it's very white. You were able to yeah. kind of find your it's way. It's very that- white, and um, and it's older also and I started out you know I'm 32 and I started out 12 years ago or something like that um and so I was like I'm the person who could do stories about young people and like I'm the person who can do stories about people of color like if I'm an immigration reporter I can speak Spanish and I can go to all these communities and they'll be like oh hey what's up you look like me like there's just like this barrier that you don't have to really like cross like it just I mean even like Honestly, so I think, in business terms, you found a niche, you exploit yeah. it and say like, this is what I can do better than everybody else in this office. Yes, I'm yeah. leveraging the fact that I'm a person of color. I'm leveraging the fact that I can have access that you cannot have. And here's my special skill. And then now, you know, and that's kind of, I think, wasn't luck. Luck is called, you know, I, what's the saying? Luck is nothing but preparation. Preparation for, meets opportunity. Preparation meets opportunity. And you had a plan. Okay. Like you just, you just outlined what you did. You were strategic in how you were able to navigate and make sure that you created back to simple economics, you know, a need, you created a need, like you saw, you made them see that there's a need for your skill set, your special skill set. I like the way you and put it, leverage. cool. <laughs> and I can't, and that's what you did. There's a path to success. And I just like, young people just need to understand it. So people of color, like we can create, and it doesn't come in traditional ways. If you just went to traditional way, trying to be Sarah Gonzalez, the girl from Mexico, but trying to act white to get through, you probably wouldn't have got through because they're like, there's plenty of white hey, people. Hold on, pause. Right Sarah, are, are you from Mexico? I'm from San Diego, okay, border yeah, town, so right, I'm a border girl. All right. Basically from That's the, you, I just want to be, all right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Mexican-American. Mexican-American. Let me correct it. Yeah. Sure. Let me correct it. But, you know, you are able to show like, hey, here's my heritage, here I who I am, and I can leverage this heritage to make it useful to what your NPR is looking for. And I think that's fabulous. I think that's wonderful. You didn't sell out, in other words, Sarah. You didn't sell out. <laughs> yeah. but, but it sounds like you're also, it sounds like you're also not just leaning on just the cultural thing you also were talented and skilled you're like you have both sides of this coin it's not just let me you, try fi- to- you find a you find a, a thing like you know i was in i started out i really really started out covering community police relations um at in oakland which is where i went to college and um then i kind of used that to cover i started i think my next thing was like immigration um and then education and then but they're all sort of like the same not the same thing underlying like, issues same, yeah like in a connected. school place you find violence and police interactions with students and you find immigration issues and you you know then like the like they're all they all just kind of connect in some way um i think my thing was probably um just telling stories my way like, I didn't want to sound like everyone else. I didn't want to do, like, the format. I was very young when I started out, and I sounded really young. And I was very, like, bubbly and giggly, and I still giggle a lot in my stories. And some people will give me comments like, oh, my gosh, Sarah laughs so much. And then other people are like, I love hearing that laugh. So it's just like, whatever. Like, you know, I, this is who I am, and I'm just going to do it my way. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's be yourself, which is not great advice, but... Well, um, but for this industry, yeah. for being a host or a reporter or an on-air talent or an actor or, or you know, like for, for entertainment, radio, news, all that stuff, being yourself is a very important, that is good advice because yeah. you want to stand out. You want to be unique. You don't just want to blend in. So yourself is a big part of it. Oh, my gosh. Also, I lied once. I lied once. And I would also recommend that, too. What, what was the lie? <laughs> so the very first time I did live radio, my editor who was in, it was when I was in Miami covering immigration. Um, he was like, hey, uh, WNYC, 
which was a station that I used to work at, um, they want to do like a live hit on um, Ron Paul headquarters, like when Ron Paul was like running for president. And he was like, you've, you've done live radio, right? And I was like, I just like nodded my head, like <laughs> not a yes nod, not a no nod, just like a one nod, like a straight, like mm-hmm. without any words. Did I like, okay. And then right before I went on live, I was like the day before or whatever, I was like, I have to tell you something. I haven't done live radio, but like now there's an assignment and now I'm like doing it. And he was like, oh, Sarah, but he was fine with it. And like, I would have never done it, you know, if I would have been like, no, I've never done live radio. Um, And then three years later, I was guest hosting the show that was the first time that I did live radio on. And I thought it was like so cool because I was like, I lied to get on your show (laughs) three years ago. (laughs) I'll tell you this, to sum it up to our listeners, I'll say it's confidence, believing yourself, even though you haven't done it, believing that you can do it, one. And then I always say with people of color, we always have to give a reason. We can't give them a reason to say no. You know, to me, it's like everything has to be check, check, check. Education, check. This, check, check, check. So I'm not giving you an opportunity to say no. And then when I get this opportunity, I am going to excel, you know, and I think that's what you did. Thanks. All right. So <laughs> let's jump back into these financial headlines. We got a few more questions for you, Sarah. Um, All right. From also from the money and justice episode that we discussed earlier, you guys mentioned George Floyd receiving $14 million in donations. And you even mentioned a lady that received 55000 uh from a Janiqua, wait, what, what was this? This is yeah, written. Janiqua Charles. She was right. She was the, the woman who did the "You About to Lose Your Job." Right, Remember that right. song? Yeah, yes. that's her. Okay, so she received fifty-five thousand dollars from a, of a GoFundMe. What are your thoughts about people donating to recognize nonprofits versus GoFundMe's? Or how do you feel about <sighs> those things? I mean, I'm a sucker for the like all those donation sites like I can scroll for hours and hours and be like they need my money I have to help with this family's medical costs like they just I I, I like it because I like you know reading someone's story connecting with them and then like donating um with the recent Black Lives Matter protests um there were a lot of organizations that were just getting like a ton of donations more than they could even handle um like the people who post bail for people who got arrested during the protest um and they were saying like okay stop donating to us we cannot handle all this money look at these other organizations that you can donate to just kind of like spread the love a little bit and so our producer james sneed who who worked on this segment he called up an expert to be like what is the right way to donate like should you donate you know like if one person gets all the money is that good like should one organization get millions and millions of dollars or should a bunch of organizations get a million dollars right um and this guy this expert was basically like yes some organizations are better at doing with your money what you thought they were going to do with your money and like it probably is better to spread the love but he was basically like if you are moved to donate like just donate if you don't want to do the research you don't want to whatever like the important thing is that you want to donate and like that's the thing that you should follow through on. Um, not necessarily like being so worried about where the money goes. Well, the, this is the perfect opportunity to let you know about the uh, Matt Smith from Two Black Guys with Good Credit GoFundMe uh, that's just <laughs> starting tonight. Um, so if you want to donate- What's your I, cause? What's your cause? Uh, my, let me hear your cause. The, the, <laughs> the, the cause is I'm trying to help the world by making me a more happy person. So if uh, I'm happier, uh-huh. When you're I happy, will spread happy. that happiness. It's a win. It's a win-win. So I'll give you the info once we're off the air. So you can all right, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, word. That doesn't sound like an incredibly compelling story, but um, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna work on that pitch. But okay. let, we, we got one more question for you. Um, actually, we got wait, two more. But as discussed in the Planet Money's Black Workers and the Fed episode, explain how the Federal Reserve's management of the economy can have an outsized negative effect on black workers Mm -hmm. so this was an episode from our sibling podcast the indicator they're like a daily podcast um so it's like a really great way to keep up um our show is twice a week um but this episode was basically about how the federal reserve has the power to help one of the most marginalized groups in the labor market 
black workers, and in particular, black women workers. Um, basically, the Federal Reserve helps out the economy by doing things like by lowering interest rates. Um, and then they raise interest rates when they think the economy is good again. So they raise interest rates in 2013 because unemployment was low. They thought that was a good sign. Um, but unemployment wasn't low for black workers. It was still high. Um, so they stopped helping out the economy when things were still not good for black workers. Um, and right now, the Fed is, again, providing support for the economy. They're keeping interest rates low because of the pandemic. Um, and an economist that was on that show, her name is uh, Janelle Jones, she was saying, like, OK, Federal Reserve, before you remove the support this time around, whenever that is, why don't you wait until the labor market is good for black workers also, like, don't forget about them again. And her argument is a pretty good one, I think. She's basically like, when things are good for those who have the worst economic outcomes, how in the world could they possibly not be good for everyone else in the country, too? So, like, let's just wait till the people on, you know, the most disadvantaged are lifted up, too. And then you can, like, stop supporting the economy. Yes. And she actually wrote a book. If anybody wants to know more about that, she co-authored it with um, Jared Bernstein. He's an economic advisor, um, actually, to um, uh, Joe Biden. And it's called um, Groundwork Collaborative. Because they're saying that the, the um, in unemployment rate for Black workers really hasn't dipped below 10% since 1972. Horrible. So, yeah. All right. So, Sarah, what are you working on next? So... Yeah, the, the episode that I'm working on right now is basically a show about um, what a fair prison sentence is, um, which like people are thinking about a lot right now because of the coronavirus, um, because basically if you are in prison because you like sold drugs or you stole something and you die in prison because of the coronavirus, that's not a fair sentence. Like you would not normally get a death sentence for that. Um, and so all these states have released a bunch of inmates um, like, oh, you had 10 months left in your sentence. You had four months left in your sentence. We're just going to release you now to kind of like make sure that you don't get um, sick or die from the virus in prison. Um, but right before the virus hit, one of the last things I did is I went to a state that started um, releasing inmates out early like for a couple years before they started in 2018 and their argument was that it no longer made financial sense to keep people in prison for years and years and years and years and um it's kind of like a fiscal responsibility argument and a lot of republicans on are on board and it's basically the story of the one thing that democrats and republicans can agree on and surprisingly it's prison reform they're coming at it from very different reasons but they're kind of like all on board with the prison reform thing right now it's not out yet, but it will be in okay. next it, week. Wh and how would they live on Planet Money? Mm-hmm. Yep. Friday, next Friday on Planet Money. Well, there you go. You got to tune into that. Uh, so it's, I will say we went the day that um, a bunch of people got released years earlier than they thought they would. Like a guy who was in for 20 years and then he's told like two days before, hey, you got your five-year mark, you're getting out. Like, can you imagine? And it was just like a, I mean, like, regardless of how you feel about the policy, it is really, really sweet and super cool to be there when people find out they're getting out 15 years sooner than they thought they would. Right? Absolutely. Like, that's crazy. Cool. Uh, that's yeah. a good moment. Yeah, that's, that yeah. must give you chills. That's something given, that must have given you chills to see some people get awesome. out. Yeah. Well, Sarah, we want to thank you for joining us and giving our listeners a little taste of Planet Money, and you know, we're we hope you know to share you know your platform and your show, so our listeners can can learn and hear more stuff about the economy and economics. So, again, thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for asking. Thanks for bringing your fish. <laughs> you're officially a two black guy. Great. You're officially <laughs> a two black guy with good credit. All right. I'm two black guys with good credit. Fantastic. Yeah. I always knew that I would at least more than one person. I don't want to know what gave it away to you, but that's for another episode. But thank you so much for coming on, Sarah, and you know, being receptive to my tweets and reaching out to you to come on our show. I really appreciate you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Thanks for doing what you guys do also. Super important. Sarah, do you want to give people if they want to hit you up, if they want to anybody wanna 
get more I'm, Sarah in their life? Any, any, any? I'm uh, at Gonzalez Sarah A. Gonzalez G O N Z A L E Z Sarah with an H on Twitter. You can find me there. And she's responsive. You can also search people. like Sarah Gonzalez Planet Money, and I'm sure I'll pop up. Oh, that was amazing. Like really interesting, unique perspective, Sean. I am now a Planet Money fan. Um, but for anyone else, like myself, would like to get more information, we always love to hear your questions. Um, email us at tbgwgc at gmail.com. That's two black guys with good credit at gmail.com. We love your feedback. We love to hear from you. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Two Black Guys Good Credit. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review to make it easier for others to find us. Like Anika, who said, I share this podcast daily. Thank you so much for creating it. Well, thank you, Anika. And my name is Dion Nichols, the lady with the history, the stats, and the cold hard facts. And I'm out. Well, thank you, Dee. Uh, and again, I want to thank Sarah Gonzalez and Planet Money. I think it's a wonderful show. And as we encourage our, our listeners to listen to every episode of Two Black Guys with Good Credit, we also want you to broaden your listening scope and add the economic show of Planet Money to your listening habits. Uh, it'll, it'll be beneficial to you as well. So. As I always say, nothing changes if nothing changes. I'm Matt Smith, one half of Two Black Guys with Good Credit, and I'm out. And like I was saying, we spread the love the Brooklyn way, and I want to thank our special guest, Sarah, for coming on again. I had a ball. Like I tell you every week, Matt, when is it going to register? Your money is your money, Matt. Keep it in your damn pocket. And I'm out. The Two Black Guys with Good Credit podcast is produced by Matt Smith and Arlington Forbes. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.